Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday over the next year, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church. Thank you guys for listening to the Your Story Matters podcast. Um, we have another great episode today. Um, I'm sitting down with one of my friends, Kevin, who I've known for a few years. And Kevin and I have a, a really unique friendship in that from the first moment we met and sat down to have coffee, the conversations have been real and honest and vulnerable. And so when starting this podcast and thinking of people who uh, I would really want to sit down with. Kevin, you're one of those people. Um, you're also one of the first people to say, hey, I'm, I'm ready to do this thing. And so I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today as we continue in this series. Um, so for the people who don't know you, go ahead and tell them a little bit about who you are and kind of your family right now. All right. So my name's Kevin Laser, and I'm 59 years old and married to a wonderful woman, Carol. And we've been married just over 30 years, and we have two wonderful daughters, Heather, who is going to be 28 next year, and Megan, who will be 26. And then from my previous marriage, I have a son, Matthew, who's 35, and we have a wonderful granddaughter, Charlie Rose, who is just over three, and uh, our daughter-in-law, Rachel, and the three of them live in Melbourne, Australia. Yes. Yeah, so, so. so you're a father, you're a husband, uh, you're a grandfather. Yeah. Um, which I think for people who know you, that's probably the role that they're like, I see that. <laughs> um, so um, take us back to your childhood. Where did you grow up? Um, what was your family like? Um, kind of what was growing up like when you were younger? So I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, my parents were both from Michigan. And uh, I think I moved seven times by the time I was 12. Um, dad working, you know, to get his master's and then to get his PhD. And um, so we lived in Indiana, lived in Michigan, lived in Iowa, you know, so we kind of all over the place and, you know, had a good childhood growing up. Uh, got to see my cousins. I'm one of 11 grandkids on my mom's side, 24 on my dad's side, you know, so holidays were a big deal. We would always go back to Michigan because we were kind of like the only ones who weren't in Michigan, you know, and so we would always kind of go for major holidays, Christmas, Easter, you know, go away for a couple weeks in the summertime, see everybody. So it was a lot of fun, a lot of good memories of hanging out with my cousins and aunts and uncles and great aunts and uncles and great grandparents and all that kind of stuff. In the mid-70s, we moved to Long Island. So that was a big jump. So here's this greenhorn kid, you know, from, you know, the Midwest yeah. and moving to uh, moving out onto Long Island. My dad got a, a job at a university out on Long Island. Just, you know, we moved out there and I guess it was like 74, kind of got involved. I had started playing soccer when I was out in, um, in Indiana and kind of continued doing that because that was kind of like my thing. So did a lot of soccer and um, playing in bands, played a couple instruments. And kind of had, you know, perfect kind of normal childhood. Yeah. It was yeah. a, just a lot of fun. Went to a, ended up going to church 
at a uh, really old church, if anybody's ever seen the Turn series, the Setauket Spy Ring, you know. So our church was founded, I don't know, some crazy, like 1650 wow. or 1660. Uh, really enjoyed going to church. Went to youth groups some, uh, but you know, didn't have that relationship with, with God or yeah. Jesus or anything. It was just something we did. Yeah, so you're a teenager at this point. Yeah, so this was like seventh grade. So when you lived in the Midwest, because I think a lot of people, they have this notion of the Midwest, Bible Belt, church life. Mm-hmm. Was that prevalent in the like your Midwestern years before you moved to New York? Or was New York kind of like the beginning of, hey, this faith thing is a part of what? Yeah, I mean, New York was kind of the beginning. We, we, I never went to church. They tell me I was baptized as a baby. I guess I was, you know, but we never, I don't ever remember going to church. Wow. Um, either when we as a family were living, you know, in the Midwest, nor when we went and visited uh, grandparents or yeah. anybody, you know, just, wow. we didn't go. Yeah. So it really didn't start until we really, and we moved to New York when I was actually in, going into sixth grade, and we didn't do anything that really wasn't until seventh grade wow. that we started to go. And my, I guess, I don't know if they just figured, well, this is, you know, mom and dad, this is something we got to do. Yeah. We, we need to start taking our kids to church. Um, my dad ended up being on being an elder or whatever the church and it was a presbyterian church i remember that like i said it was a really really old church and i enjoyed going and i enjoyed like the hymns and stuff i was like singing still do um so that kind of was an attraction um you know met some friends because i started going to youth group and singing in the choir and so that was something that i did for until i went to college yeah that's so interesting because it's so counter Typically, I mean, we know, like we live in Maryland right now, mm-hmm. for people to end up on the East Coast and then decide to go to church, you right. know, what we're seeing is kind of the opposite, which is, you know, if they live in the South or the Midwest, it's a part of their culture, it's part of who they are. Then they get out here, less opportunities. They still exist. There's churches everywhere, but it's a little bit different. There's not one on every corner. You know, your neighbors aren't so involved in church that they're saying, hey, come with us to this church kind of thing. So that's really interesting because for your family, to do that, that meant it was a very conscious decision. It was very much, hey, we are going to do church and this is gonna be a part of our life. So as you experienced that in, in middle school and even high school, um, how would you describe your faith? Like you were involved? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I was going, I was involved in choir, going to youth group, but you know, the, there was no like connection with God, with Jesus, yeah. you know, it really didn't, didn't register. That really wasn't, um, talked about a whole lot actually yeah. you, know? Yeah. you know we did great youth group activities and didn't really go on retreats or anything that wasn't a thing back in the back then um if it was we didn't go to them um but you know we we did like fundraisers so that we could do like um like lock-ins and that kind of stuff and um because i grew up on long island on the north shore you know we would do a lot of like sailing and hanging out in the summertime and, and do activities as a group and stuff and i actually still have some close friendships with a couple of those people, you know, so that, that was really cool. But in terms of faith, it just it wasn't part of it. Yeah. So how did it impact your family? Because one of the things that we've, you and I have talked about in the past is you, you had your mom and your dad, you had your siblings, but it was busy, lots of moving, lots of change. You were the oldest. So um, talk to us a little bit about like the family dynamic of that, but also like did going to church solve some of those tensions? You know, mom, until I was like in getting ready to go into fourth grade, you know, stayed at home. She was a, uh, she was a, she was a teacher. 
dad was a college professor. I don't think I said that. And so after he got his PhD, we moved from Iowa because he got his uh, degree at Iowa State and moved to Indiana, and he got a teaching position at Indiana University. Uh, Mom needed to work, and so um, she actually um, got a job working at the library for the university. And so uh, Kevin was in fourth grade, my sister Sarah was uh, in first, and my little sister Kate, she was she would have been like preschool, like so, you know, we're all like two years apart. And so uh, me and Sarah would leave school in the afternoon. I was fourth grade, she was first grade. And then we'd go and get Kate to preschool. You know, we'd do like this loop. I don't, I couldn't even tell you how, you know, it, it seemed long at the time. Yeah. It was probably yeah, only like miles, miles right? Yeah. Like miles walking uphill, right? But yeah. no, it was, it was probably like, you know, less than a mile or whatever. But like I would gather them, right? And so I was kind of like the big brother caretaker, you know, yeah. we would go home. And, you know, before latchkey kids and stuff, you know, we were, you know, we would go home and we'd get snacks and we really didn't do homework at, at those yeah. ages so much. And you know, we went out and played. And, but it was kind of my responsibility because mom and dad were working. And yeah. so I took care of my sisters. Going into sixth grade, then we moved to New York. Did some of that in sixth grade, maybe, maybe not as much. Yeah. And then one year in the one house and then we moved to you know parents bought a house you know got a house of our own weren't renting anymore and by that time i was kind of fed up you know <laughs> it was like i'm okay i'm done doing childcare. Yeah. you know i want to do my own thing yeah. um some resentment that i didn't get to hang out with my friends as much as i wish i could have when i was you know back in indiana and stuff and so it was like okay it's time for me to spread my wings and do what i want to do it really wasn't so much resenting you know, my sisters, even though, you know, I, I know that I withdrew from them at that time because of that, because I was like, you're all on your own, I'm going to do my thing. Yeah. And looking back now, it's like, you know, I was more, more mad at my, at my parents, you know, specifically my dad, because, you know, we, it was just something that I had to do. I had to take care of my sisters. Yeah. That expectation was put on me, but he and I really didn't have a close relationship in terms of, you know, hey, let's go throw the ball. You know, I, I played soccer. He was not athletic in any, you know, mm-hmm. so this guy's a botanist, biologist, you know. He, he grew up on a farm, but never, you know, never got into doing um, sports or whatever, you know. I mean, I remember going out um, with him, like vacations, me and my sisters maybe going to see relatives. And, like we would stop and uh, get samples of plants and different <laughs> things, you know, because so, yeah. you know, he would wow. put them, like, do presses, you know, for his, uh, you know, leaf presses and stuff for the students to be able to identify plants and this and that. At the time, I thought, this is great, but it was like kind of like free child labor, right? Because yeah. <laughs> I was doing all this work, um, but that was the only way I was going to be able to spend time with him. Sure. And so, you know, I just yearned for that. You know, there was that part of me that was just not happy that, uh, that we didn't get to do that, but I had to do all these things for him. Yeah. All right, so now you live in New York, start in your own way. What was the end of high school like, eventually end up in college? Talk us through the decisions uh, to graduate and, and leave, essentially. I really enjoyed you know, my, my high school years. I, I was like in band, I was in jazz band, and I had a buddy whose dad was a music director or yeah, music director at another high school, and I got to do like pit orchestra, so I enjoyed it and did all my soccer. But underneath was just like all this rage and all this anger, you know, um, just, you know, dealing with stuff um, really around my dad. And I just, uh, you know, I turned alcohol, turned to drugs to try to numb some of that yeah. stuff. But, you know, 
continued though to put on that smiley face, be the good, be the good kid, you know, who 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 got yeah, fairly good grades, you know, was you know playing in band and I was a Boy Scout for a few years and you know doing all this stuff. So you know, there was this whole Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of thing going on, you know, the the, the face mask, you know, with the happy face and then the sad face. I was pretty independent at that point, but I knew that I didn't want to stay in the house. Yeah. I didn't want to um, go to school, even though, you know, go to school where dad taught, even though it would have cost almost nothing, right? Because usually, you know, professors or staff get a break on college yeah. tuition. I was like, I don't care. I'm out. And so I ended up going to school at Longwood College, which is now Longwood University, yeah, down, in, down in central Virginia, yeah, about an hour west of Richmond. And, you know, still trying to find myself down there. You know, I tried, a um, girl that I met during orientation, you know, said, hey, you want to come to church with me? And I was like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll go. I think I went the first two weeks and that was it, you know, like I guess probably a lot of, you know, but when I went home on breaks and stuff, you know, I was the C&E college student, you know, for yeah. Christmas and Easter. I yeah. still, still, went to, still went to church, but not, not during the school year and stuff. Joined a fraternity, um, you know, met a lot of good guys there. Um, had a lot of guys who called me on stuff. Uh, you know, I was 18, and these guys were only 21, but still three years wiser than me and, yeah. you know, helped me grow up to a degree. Not a whole yeah, lot, it's but still, but it's still, yeah. still college. Yeah. And ended up uh, graduating and then moving to the like Northern Virginia area. And in that time, I had met someone who I, I hadn't met actually through a mutual, uh, mutual uh, friend in our fraternity and ended up dating and ended up getting married, then moving into the, like the Northern, you know, Northern Virginia area. Wow. We were married for about four years, had our son Matthew. Uh, during that time, though, there was uh, infidelity on her part. You know, here once again, here I was trying to like long for somebody, you know, and try acceptance. Am I lovable? Am I worthy? And, um, you know, we ended up getting divorced. Uh, she and I ended up going to the courts trying to get, you know, I, I didn't want her taking Matthew out of the country. Uh, I didn't have any more money to spend because I was already in tens of thousands of dollars in debt trying to get, to, you know, not have that happen. Yeah. And the court said, well, she's not a great wife, but she's a good mom. And so they sided with her and off he went. You know, so here I have, you know, all these issues, you know, where I was not happy with my relationship with my dad and not having that closeness and not having that bonding. And I was like, I'm going to do all these things you know, right this time, you know, we're going to break that generational cycle or whatever they talk about, you know, and, you know, and, and I even put like all these like demands on myself, like, you know, I was going to get married before he got married. I was going to have a kid before he, you know, it, it, you know, earlier than he did. I'm going to get my master's. I have all these things. And it was just like rage and anger towards him to, you know, that to fulfill, to make me, myself feel better to, I guess, make up for some of that. And so then when Matt ended up, you know, leaving and going, you know, so once again, here I am, you know, I, I didn't get that chance yeah. to raise my son the way that I wanted, that I had wanted to be raised. Yeah. And so there we go back, you know, downsliding into the, you know, into the you know, drinking and just numbing everything. Yeah. And how, how old were you at this point? Because uh, like 25, yeah. 26. Yeah. And so at 26 years old, divorced you know, a kid who's now out of the country, right, which um, has its own set of pain and um, frustrations and tensions and insecurities. 
your parents are no longer together as well. Yeah, that's so that's correct. So um, when I was a senior in college, about a week after graduation, I went home. Do not remember where my dad was, but my mom pulled me aside and told me that she and dad were getting a divorce. And the reason was because he had come out of the closet as being gay. And it didn't surprise me just because of some things that I had seen over the few years before that. And she broke down crying and wanting a hug. And it just, I don't know, it it was really weird. It was, for for me anyway, because it just felt like, I don't want anything to do with this. You know, it's like, okay, well, this is your problem, not mine. And um, I'm out. I just graduated college, and I'm moving back down to Virginia. But that was just kind of another, you know, in the the heart, (laughs) you know, another thing to deal with. Yeah. That's a tough four-year stretch, Mm -hmm. right, from graduation. Well, from really from choosing to get as far away from your family as possible, you know, New York to Longwood, not close, <laughs> far enough away where they don't get to surprise and visit you. Right. We didn't know social media back then, right? Yeah. So there was the, there was the hallway phone and that was yeah. about it. If you know. wanted to answer it or make a call. Yeah. Right. So, you know, in this pursuit of better in this pursuit of change in this pursuit, um, I think a lot of it is a pursuit of healing, right? We often try to find healing. We try to find you know, growth. We try to find those things in, in other places and other people. The really crappy thing about life is that it catches up to you no matter what, you know, a lot of people share, have shared on this podcast so far that, um, there's been a lot of running and, and just trying to get away from it. And, you know, sadly, I, I wish it worked that way. I, I wish it was so simple as just telling people, Hey, you've got this problem. It's your parents. It's a past relationship. It's an addiction. It's an insecurity. Just leave and go somewhere else. And it'll stay in that other place. And it, and it just doesn't. And so you're at this point, you know, you're 26. Um, your parents are divorced. Your dad, who you've already had a st- stressful relationship with. Now, you know, your relationship is completely different. You know, at that point, is it is it existent? Is it non-existent with him when you're, you know, when the divorce happened and all that? Like, is is he a part of your life at that point? little bit um and uh, you know i think more because you know supposed to honor our mother and father right sure and that's kind of how i was brought up and so it's like well you know all this stuff has happened between us but i still feel like he needs to be part of my life but it wasn't anything you know and at that point you know so here i was i was going back down to virginia and he was moving to um he was moving out to missouri and so he was in Missouri. And then after that, through the years, he went to Missouri, went to Massachusetts, went to Florida. And now he's back in Arizona, you know. Wow. And so um, didn't see him, but that was okay. Yeah, yeah. That you was okay. Yeah, at that point. Yeah. So I think a lot of people would look at the, your parents' divorce, your dad coming out, you know, getting married, having a spouse cheat on you, having a child, specifically a son, you know, and then them leaving so you're 26 years old, and that's pretty rock bottom, right? That's a low point in life that nobody would ever ask for, and really it's like multiple of those things. So what happened? You know, what what happened 26-year-old Kevin, you know, for the next few years? Yeah. So my degree is in recreation therapy, 
And at that time, it was not something like, say, occupational therapy or physical therapy where people have to have licenses and certificates and this and that. And they were trying to make it more so to be kind of in line with the different uh, auxiliary therapies that, that, that are out there. And so they were doing a, uh, a national certification exam. And so this national certification exam was down at Howard University in D.C. And I'm standing in line and talking and just striking up a conversation with a bunch of, you know, people in, from all over because they were only doing like four or five centers in the whole United States on this one particular day. So you had to travel to wherever. And D.C. was one of them. So I met two guys who worked in National Institutes of Health in the, on the, in the um, recreation therapy department. And you were striking up a conversation. And, you know, at this point, like you said, like I'm, you know, I just want to go hide in a cave. right? I just want to go hide in a cave and ball up and just you know, just forget everything and everybody. And um, I told them who I was and why I was there. And I said, you know, and they were like, well, you know, we have an opening in, in our department. You sound like you'd really be a good fit. And um, they said, the beauty is, you know, you'd be a federal employee. So then if you got in, after you go through your probation and stuff, if you ever just want to leave, then you can go anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. I'm thinking that would be awesome because then I could leave and get the hell out of here yeah. and I could go to the West Coast and I could yeah. go be work in a national park and just yeah. sit in the middle of the woods somewhere and not yeah, have to deal with right. anybody. So I said, sign me up. So I ended up uh, applying for the position, got it, ended up working of all places, believe it or not, with the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, wow. working with drug addicts and addicts and, and, and drug addicts and alcoholics and it was a great, great job. But in that time, I met Carol, yeah. and she worked with pediatric cancer and AIDS patients in one of the therapeutic playrooms. And so all of her offices were on the very top floor of this huge, it's called the NIH clinical, it's called the clinical center. Um, and we were on the 14th floor. And, you know, I would walk by and I would see her in the office or working with the kids. And I was like, you know, it's one of those things where you just look at it and it's like, there's something different about this. Yeah. This, this lady, like, well, I, but I couldn't put my finger on it. You know, so eventually, you know, I got, the, I got the nerve to go and talk to her during breaks and stuff. And she was real big into fitness and it was a certified fitness instructor and worked with patients. And she worked at the YMCA down the street as a personal fitness trainer. And at that point, I was trying to shed some body weight. I was a pretty big dude. Uh, big dude, you know, I'm even bigger now, but at the time, I, I was trying to lose some weight. And so, like, I was lifting, and, and we were, you know, we just strike up conversations in the weight room and stuff. And it's like, what is it? What is it? And, you know, and what it was is that she had Christ in her life. And it was just like, you know, this aura around her and just how she treated other people and her demeanor and how calm she was and just kind of what she stood for. And I was like, I want to start dating her, right? There's just something about her. And so I finally got up the nerve to do that, and you know we dated. But she was like, "Well, if this is going to kind of become serious, you're going to start going to church." Yeah. I was like, "Okay, fine, that's okay. Yeah, I've gone to want. church. Yeah. I've gone to church before. Yeah. It's no big deal, yeah. Yeah. you know." So just started going to church, and we started dating in like the summer, late summer of '91. We were engaged in February of 92 and married in October 92. So like a year, 15 months yeah. from, from start to finish, so yeah. to speak. And, you know, I had, still had God in my head as this, you know, big dude with, you know, with the big old yeah. white robe and the white, the white beard sitting on the throne. Yeah. You know, it wasn't anything with, you know, how I felt in my body, how I felt in my heart and my soul that, that still wasn't there. But I was going to church. 
And, you know, we got married and ended up having Heather and Megan. And still going to different churches. You know, we had moved from Bethesda um, and then um, bought a place when we were living in um, Germantown. Started going to, to another church. And um, all the while, you know, girl, got the girls baptized and they were doing stuff. And I helped out at church. And we were on the, like the softball team together, you know, with the girls on the sideline, you know, yeah. Carol and I playing on the field and stuff. But still no real you know, faith walk, nothing going on. Uh, we left the one church we were at because the girls were getting ready to start preschool. So we started going to Covenant United Methodist Church, which is down in Gaithersburg at the one end of um, the area, Montgomery Village. Let's start going to church there. Got to know a couple um, guys who were about 20 years older than me, kind of, and not mentors at that point, but kind of became mentors. And they're like, hey, we want you to go on this thing called an Emmaus walk. And it was basically a Christian retreat. I was like, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll go. And it was life-changing yeah. for me. On that weekend, I got hit by God with a two-by-four upside my head and finally knocked him out of the sky and put him in my heart, yeah. basically. From my, even going back to my grandparents and then my, my parents, I mean, they were always big into helping others, doing for others, volunteering. And so I did that, but I did it because I was like, hey, look at what I did. Yeah. Look at all these great things I'm doing. Yeah. And now I was just like on fire. I was on fire to serve God. Yeah. And, you know, and started doing these men's weekends and started doing um, youth weekends as well. Got involved once we moved up to Frederick in um, our youth group and then other youth groups. And I've been doing that for years. But it's just this passion that I now have to serve others and tell others about, you know, about Christ. Yeah. So how did that change how you started to handle all the other stuff you've been through, right? Because a lot of times people hope that two by four moment, you know, we talk about our collective all the time, like people expect baptism, they come out of the water and it's like, all my problems have gone away. And it's like, oh no, like it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. This is the beginning of you starting to deal with them, right? So God hits you right across the head with a two by four. Obviously, you have to start wrestling with your father, the divorce, you know, drinking, all that. Like, how did that moment impact all that other stuff you'd been through in your life? I guess the biggest thing was that I ended up turning to others, which was something that I was, you know, going back, you know, to college, I'm going to do it all myself. I'm going to do things myself. And still, you know, even still, I still have that, you know, when things go wrong or rough or whatever you know I, you know the girls will mock me and carol will mock me oh, you know go, oh i'm just going to do it myself i'm just going to do it myself i don't need anybody's help and but i really started to try to lean on others um whether it was guys at church whether it was friends whether it was carol um you know di- didn't get too much i wasn't too much of being in in the word at that point in my life and reading my bible and yeah. stuff but I, but I know just going to church and kind of just doing the things that I knew that I needed to do just really helped me like deal with, with the anger. Yeah. Um, not that it wasn't there, but it, but it was less. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you know, and anger, some, you know, some of the, the resentment, um, you know, and even going back, you know, to, to Matthew. So now you hear Matthew's in, in and at that point, they were in uh, Sydney, Australia. And, 
you know, I, a good picture wasn't painted of me by my ex, you know, and so we really didn't re- reconnect until, um, really until he was like in his probably early 20s, wow. you know, so a lot of resentment on his part, like I had towards my, you know, dad's yeah. not there for me, yeah. but he was being fed all this stuff. Um, come, come to find out, you know, just even a couple of years ago when they were here with Charlie Rose, um, you know, he never got letters, gifts, things that we sent. But back at that time, I just had to put my trust, and I guess that was the biggest thing, you know, I had trust issues with dad and other things, you know, so it was that whole trust thing of I had to put my trust in God that if I just kept sending letters, if I just kept trying to call, and, and, and when we spoke on the phone, whether we talked for two minutes or he hung up on me or we talked for 15 minutes or whatever, that he knew that I loved him and that eventually things would work out. And I remember going on one of my men's weekends and when I was actually teaming, um, you know, which is like staffing a weekend, and one of the guys in the band saying, I'm going to pray for your son every day. And I just like meant, so that was the first time anybody had ever, you know, that was like a foreign concept yeah. to me that somebody was going to pray for, for my needs. Yeah. So like, what is that? Why are you doing that? Like, what do I got to give you? You know, yeah, like, somebody like, caring for you just right. to care for you. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I would say that that's you know, probably the biggest thing was the, the yeah. whole trusting and just being able to, to lean in, yeah. to lean in and, and know that, you know, if I fall up, if I fall, you know, get back up yeah. and just keep going. Yeah. Just keep going. So tough childhood, tough college years. You know, you've mentioned struggled with anger, struggled with drinking, drugs, and there's infidelity in your marriage. Eventually you meet Carol, who um, the way you describe her is how everybody who knows her <laughs> describes her. Just like <laughs> sweet and kind and loving and just that person in your life that just brings that warmth. No judgment. Yeah. Yeah. So eventually like, okay, you have the two by four moment with God, even though you guys are healing, even though, you know, you and Carol are doing it right, trying to lead your kids the right way, love them differently than how you were loved, be present, very present in their life. I mean, I, I know a lot of you as a parent is, being interested in the things your kids are interested in and loving what they love. And, you know, so you guys are trying your best to do everything the right way. But, you know, a few years later, you kind of have another hard moment. Carol's mom passed away in, um, in 2000. And she was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, what do you mean what do I want to do? And she said, she said, well, you promised mom that we wouldn't move away as long because the two of them were just super close. Because her dad, I, dad, unfortunately, who I never had the opportunity to meet, and her brother was kind of on the other side of the country and moving around. And so I had promised Edna that, hey, I'm staying put. You know, I know how important your relationship with Carol and the, and, the, and the girls just adored her. And so I said, you know, I'm in. I'm staying here. And so we kind of talked about it. We just decided, you know what, we're just going to stay here. I was halfway into my federal career. You know, I had no idea, you know, and in this time I had changed careers totally. I did a whole 180 because I have my um, master's in public administration with a concentration of finance and always loved numbers and math. And I ended up getting a job. You know, I was like, well, we can't like live in Bethesda in Germantown and me be the grade level that I was at. And if Carol, and Carol didn't go back to work, um, which we thought was only going to be a few, for a few years, which has not been until the girls were, you know, out of high school. And she, you know, it was a crossing card here in the county. But it was like, this is just, we, we, can't, we cannot live here and, and me be where we are financially. 
So I just started applying for all these different admin jobs, got a, got a job in the budget shop at NIH, stayed there. That was the majority of my career, got into finance and all that kind of stuff. So after um, Carol's mom passed away, we said, well, still kind of expensive to live even in Germantown, and we didn't like the way the neighborhood was going, so we moved to Frederick yeah. in, uh, in the summer of 2001. You know, been here ever since. And so that's where, you know, the kind of the girls, you know, grew up and, you know, things were, you know, got them into school and all this stuff. But um, what we didn't know about was um, the girl's godfather um, was abusing Megan. And it didn't come to light until about until about three years after it really had, had started. So I'm between the ages of five and eight for her. And so, you know, found out about it. Um, you know, police were involved. Unfortunately, all she kind of got with a slap on the hand and had to register um, or take classes or something for a while, but I don't even think he had to register as a sex offender. And so, you know, here, you know, everything you think is going great. And then all of a sudden, it's like the rugs just pull out from under your feet. You know, and so Megan, you know, now is kind of dealing with that and going to different um, schools because of just all of her anger and all her rage and not knowing how to process all this stuff. And, you know, but, you know, there's good stuff in there. You know, they were both the girls were playing soccer. We, you know, got to see family and do some really good trips and this and that. But then it all kind of came to a head in December of 17. And actually, I think Megan had just started going to co coming to Collective after you guys had opened up. Yeah, right. And so she, uh, Carol and I were on our way to a friend's house for a Christmas party. And we're getting ready to pull into the driveway. And Carol gets a call from FMH, the hospital here in town, says, um, Mrs. Laser, uh, your daughter has been admitted um, to the ER. She's now in the ICU. Um, she's attempted suicide, uh, swallow whole bottle of pills. And we're not sure she's going to make it. And so you need to get here. And we were like, what is going on? And, and, and you know, Megan had been in and out of the ER and in and out of like, just like, like, where you go like for like a short term, you know, one week stay, but like multiple, multiple ones. And this, you know, she was ready to check out. And so we got to the hospital and part of me wishes I had taken a picture just to remind her, but that picture of her in that ICU bed with all the tubes and stuff in and out of her is something I will never forget. And is <laughs> clearly etched in my brain. And, um, at that point, um, you know, here things were going pretty good, but you know, I still had some of the anger because I was still mad at God for letting this happen here. This guy's walking the streets, you know, free and clear, and Megan's all got all these struggles going on. Um, you know, she finds a church that she really loves, and she's got people kind of, you know, loving on her and mentoring her, and then this happens, and uh, I was ready to walk away. You know, I was just ready to put my hands to God. You and I are done because. It happened to me, now it's happened to Megan, and I don't, under, I, I don't understand. Why are you letting, you know, the whole why, why do good things happen to bad, or why do bad things happen to good people, right? And um, 
So just, you know, a lot of anger. And, you know, Megan ended up going to a few long-term residential places. You know, we had to deal with that. One of them was quite expensive, and it was worrying about money and how do we pay for this. I was like, well, you know, we're going to do what we have to do. And we just, once again, turned to God and leaned on him. Not that I still wasn't angry, you know, but it was like, all right. You know, and, and then I had a, a friend of mine who's a pastor, and I was on one of the youth weekends, and we were talking, and she was like, Kevin, she said, you got to let her go. I said, what do you mean i got to let her go? She said, God's got her. You, you, you want to be a dad, and I get it. You want to be a dad. That's what dads do. That's what guys do, right? We fix things, and we protect our kids. And she said, but Megan has got to do this. You know, she can't do any of this except on her own. And you just got to be there to support her and to love on her. But you got to quit trying to control the situation. And when I did that, it really helped. Not that I don't still get kind of freaked out when things happen still, but it was much easier after that. Once again, it was trusting God. It was trusting that God had control of the situation and it wasn't me. And it was allowing him to have, to have control of that situation. Yeah. I think uh, one of the first emails we ever got was from Megan. And I think it was like the week before opening day. And she goes, I'm coming to your church. And at that point, we, we had no idea if anybody was coming at all. But we knew one person was going to show up. And I remember, you know, a few months in, uh, we got a phone call. And um, I know for me personally, like being a pastor, I've worked in churches before, but I was never in a role where I mattered you know, in that role. I just did the behind the scenes stuff. And, um, I remember meeting you guys when she was moved and going to FMH and and seeing her and just seeing you guys. And I think it was like the first time I actually met you guys. I I knew your names because, because Megan had told us. Because we weren't coming to the collective at that time. No, I think, did you guys come opening day with her or did she come solo? No, she came solo. Yeah. Yeah. So like you can tell for a few few months, you could tell she was searching and you could tell she was like trying to find that, that place. And, you know, from, from my perspective, like looking in on your family, I remember thinking, man, this is heavy. You know, at that time I had one daughter and now I have, have two and thinking as even a, a, a new parent, like, man, how do you handle this stuff? You know, and Megan eventually gets out of the hospital, but she ends up an inpatient up in Baltimore. And then I think it was in Arizona, Utah, and then went to a facility in Illinois. And I, I just remember like going through this with you guys and just doing my best to say, hey, let us know what you need. But there are a lot of parents who are going to listen to this podcast that obviously, honestly pray that they never have to go through that with a child or just experience that part of life. So, you know, part of this is your story matters and it's not just what God's done in our life, but how it can help other people. So, and we know this because we have people in our life who've done this. At some point, people give up. Not just life, but they give up on faith, they give up on Jesus, they give up on God. It's like, I don't care, you've done this good part of of life for 10 years, but look at all this other crap. And when you share your story, and one thing that I know, and one thing that everybody will hear is that the hard things in your life were bookending the Jesus stuff. It came before Jesus, then Jesus became a major part of your life, and it's come after that. Why haven't you given up? You know, no one would hear this story. No one would look at your life if you had chosen to walk away from Jesus and been like, oh, you gave up too soon in everything you went through, but really like the lowest point of that, which is, you know, you having to figure out like, how do I love a child who's been through so much? Why didn't you give up on Jesus? 
So when Carol and I got married, the former pastor for the church we were going to, Bethesda, Fourth Presbyterian Church, his name was Dick, Hal- <clears throat> Dick Halverson. And he was now the chaplain for the U.S. Senate. And he was a little, little guy, you know, he was only probably about 5'5", five, five, but he had like that Southern Baptist, like white hair that went back, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and his backstory is he was like a playboy type guy, player who actually went to make his fame and fortune in, um, in, uh, in Hollywood, like back in the 30s and 40s, and then got hit with a Jesus two by four as well yeah. and came to Christ and became a pastor. So Carol's parents were really good friends with him. And so he was going to marry us, even though he wasn't the pastor of the church anymore. So here we go down to his office down at the U.S. Capitol or the Senate building or wherever it was. So we walk into and here's this guy. And, you know, so and we're just talking, you know, hey, you know, I'm so happy that I get to marry you guys. And, you know, we just started chatting about our faith at that point in our lives, which mine wasn't. It was very short compared to Carol's. But he told us about the three C's and I have them etched inside of my ring. And it's covenant communication in Christ, right? You have to have that communication with one another. You have to have Christ in the center of it all, right? The whole, you know, three chords are stronger than two. Um, And, you know, it's a covenant. It's a promise to each other that no matter what, no matter what, you're going to stay together. Highs and the lows, you know? And we've honored that for, you know, now 30 years. <clears throat> and this stuff with, that was going on with Megan was definitely the lows. And you're right. I mean, we just could have walked away. And, and, and we get that question from a lot of people we meet. Like, how come one of you just say, hands up, I'm out. Yeah. You know, you need to deal with it. You know, now, I'm not saying that it wasn't tough. Yeah. And there were lots of times where we were like, tag, you're it. And you get to deal with this today, or you get to deal with this today, or neither of us is going to deal with it today, or whatever, or we're going to go in there together and be a united front. But we never gave up, um, you know, because it was about us first. You know, girls come second, you know, but it was about our our marriage first. And we just we weren't we weren't going to give up on each other, and we weren't going to give up on Megan, no matter what. So you know, and it's that, you know, like I said, it's that, you know, the whole covenant of being together and being tied to each other and doing life together, yeah. good and bad. Yeah. You, know, when, you know, unfortunately, I think some people kind of take that for granted now. The whole, you know, it's like, well, they don't know how bad it really can get. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I know how bad it can get. And I'm here. And I stayed. Yeah, and I think so much of that, too, is like when Christ is a part of the communication, Christ is a part of the covenant, there's grace, right? And there's and you know there's redemption and you know there's restoration and you know there's healing and you know there's the you know the John sixteen thirty three that he has overcome the world. And knowing your story and and um, the highs and lows, I think a lot of people, specifically, you know, people who have experienced what they did, like in your childhood with the moving and the changing and the you know, divorced parents when you're in college, like it'd been really easy just to follow that path. It would have been really easy to say, hey, I've seen this done before. Let's get divorced. Let's move. Let's run away. Um, but instead, you guys continue to lean in. Um, you continue to lean into your family, uh, to your, your kids. You continue to lean into faith. Um, one thing that 
you would never talk about because you guys are too humble for this. <laughs> As we've known you, or I've known you for a few years, and and watching you guys navigate loving your kids, you know, well, but also the stress of all of that is man, has faith been a priority? You guys have continued to serve you specifically, you know, serve for serve the men at the mission. Um, continue to serve as you guys lead a group and create space for other people to have comfort and belonging. I mean, so for somebody who struggled to feel like they belong and for somebody who longed for somebody to love them, you guys create the space for that to happen for other people. Um, and I, I genuinely believe that's because of your faith in Jesus, right? Because Jesus is taking your story and he's redeeming it and that redemption is being seen in other places. And it's incredible. Uh, he can take that garbage stuff in your life and bring some good to it. Doesn't mean it goes away, right? Like, doesn't mean it solves the problem. It's still there. <laughs> you know, you're still navigating it. But um, because of your faith, you and Carol have just such a different perspective on how to handle the crap of life that has come and keeps coming and, and never really goes away. So one of the questions I ask everybody, hey, what advice would you give? And, you know, typically it's, hey, what would what advice would you give as someone who's been through X thing? But really, I, I would love for you to share, like, what advice would you give to people listening to this podcast who have experienced the lows and then the highs and then the lows and then the highs and lows, you know, like the, the, the lifelong version of that, not right. the moment. How do you lean into your faith when there's a bottom that comes, you know, every few years that is different and new and painful and brings those anger issues back and brings the struggles back. Like what advice would you give to people listening? I always remember somebody, you know, so there is, right. There's the highs, there's the lows, you know, you go on retreat, you're like, Oh, this is great. You're at the mountaintop, of, yeah. you know, experience, right. And then all of a sudden, boom, you come crashing down. And I guess because of my background being, being in numbers and finance, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not an optimist, or pessimist, I just want to drink the water in the glass, right? I'm a realist. And to me, it's you know, life is like, is like a set of train tracks, right? And one track is the highs and one track is the lows. There's always things going on. You know, it's, it's not always everything's, you know, peaches and cream and then it's just bloody hell at the other end. You know, there's always things that are going on. And, uh, you know, for me, it's that, like, there's like, I think there's some ancient Chinese proverb was says like fall down seven times get up eight yeah. right and that's kind of how I and I've always been that way I've always been a scrapper I've always been you know you're not going to get the best of me I'm just going to keep going and I'm going to just keep plugging along and um, I think for me once my you know I really had my faith in Christ and the bad times came in I know for me it was um trusting so it was like you you, you got to continue to trust trust god and in the moment it doesn't seem like it because you got the blinders on and things are going really bad but it, you know i know i look back at some of the bad things that have happened i kind of take that you know that fifty thousand foot view afterwards like, oh see he really knew what he was doing all along yeah. uh, and so it's just trying to remind yourself that you know he's in charge he's in control and i know that's hard that's that's hard for us as people to not want to take control i know for me it is just because that's how i'm wired the other thing for me was um leaning on others you know i mean you can you know you can lean in you know we talk about leaning in and, and you know and be persevering and stuff but you need your community and once again, this is hard. You know, I know it's hard for a lot of people to share their story, yeah. and it's hard for people 
to want to expose their shadows and the things that, that we don't want other people to know about. But that's how we can take care of each other, is by, is by being vulnerable and reaching out to others, reaching out to other parents. You know, I mean, you know, people are like, how did you guys make, you know, you guys, you know, and people ask that all the time, how did you do it? It's like, well, because we, re, you know, we had faith that God was in charge. We leaned into, you know, each other and, and doing what we needed to do. But we also, you know, we just talked with people about it. And we were real about it. We didn't stick our head in the sand about what was going on. It was like, oh, Megan's fine. And, oh, you know. Don't worry about the ambulance who's in front of my house twice a week for the last however, you know. It's like, this is what's going on. And we need your prayers and we need your support and I need somebody to talk to or whatever it may be. You can't undervalue the right people in your life. And, and, I, and I do want to encourage the people listening to that. You don't like sit down and grab coffee with people and go, here's everything, you know. Um, you know, you don't floodlight people with, with the highs and lows of your life. But the thing is, from the moment people get to know you, you're honest. And this isn't just theory that you're working on. This is, this is truth. Uh, all right. So the last question I ask everybody, and um, it's my favorite question of the podcast. If there's one Bible verse um, that's your favorite, uh, what would that verse be? And can you share that verse? You know, can you read it to us? Or if you sure. memorize it, you can do that. <laughs> Joshua 1, 9. Have you not done as I have commanded? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You know, and, and that just, you know, there's some days I got to say that to myself. And I don't have it tattooed anywhere yet, but yeah, I mean, you know, I have to remind myself on a daily basis and sometimes more depending on what's going on. You know, he's in charge. I'm not saying that it's not going to stink going through whatever you're going through, but I'm going to be right here by your side while you're going through with it. Just know that and trust that I'm in charge. And I know what I'm doing. And, you know, it's kind of like that. I don't know who sings that song, Jesus Take the Wheel, right? So many times I think we're, we want to be the one driving and having Jesus in the passenger seat, you know, handing us snacks and doing the navigation. Yeah. And it needs to be the other way around. You know, he needs, he needs to be in the driver's seat. I'm not saying that that's easy because there's lots of times that it's not. But it's just getting into that, you know, into that mantra of you're in charge. I trust you. And I know things are going to work out if I let you be in charge. Yeah. Kevin, thank you so much sure. uh, for joining me, for sharing your story. Everybody who's choosing to be on this podcast is saying, okay, God, use me. And one of the things I tell them is what that means is you might get a call. What that means is you might get that text, that email saying, I'm going through this thing. I need your help. And um, so specifically, you know, for, for the parents that are out there listening, who are raising kids, um, who are dealing with the highs and lows of that, I just want to encourage them. Um, don't ever hesitate to reach out to Kevin and Carol. They will love you and support you. They will lift you up. Um, they will not judge you for what you're wrestling with. Um, and they're willing to walk alongside you in your story as well. And so, um, Kevin, it's just been such a pleasure. I love hearing your story. I love how willing you are to share it. Um, I know that God's used it already, um, but I'm excited to see how God continues to use it. So thank you so much for doing that today. All right, thanks. Thanks.